0: You're listening to this week's free episode. Our second episode each week is just for Slate Plus members. You can sign up for Slate Plus for just $1 for your first month. You'll get every How to Do It podcast without ads. Plus, you'll be able to read every single advice column on Slate with no monthly limits. Join now at slate.com slash htdiplus. That's slate.com slash htdiplus.
1: This podcast contains graphic, explicit, and even sometimes a little bit vulgar discussions of sexuality. Hi, I'm Stoya. I'm a writer and pornographer.
0: And I'm Rich Joswiak. I'm a writer.
1: We're the authors of How to Do It, Slate's sex advice column. This is our new podcast where we answer brand new letters about all your sex and relationship issues twice a week. You can ask us anything about sex, anything. We're here to help.
0: I think people sometimes bring expectations into a relationship to the degree that they end up really wanting to shape the relationship into what they think it should be. And they end up contorting themselves, maybe asking their partners to contort themselves to fit this model that just isn't practical.
1: That's not practical or that's inauthentic to who the people involved are. And, you know, you want to be careful not to discourage exploration and openness but one thing that I see people take away from superficial interactions with sex positivity is that they need to, like, try all these things, like, four or five times. And, you know, I will because I like variety. Yeah. Right. So if I try something once, and I'm like, eh, I'll try it again in a different context. But that's merely one way. To live one's sexual life, and if you look at something and you're like, "Yeah, that's not for me," you don't need to force it.
0: Yeah, I think goals and expectations can be very useful. You know, I always think of it like when we'd be tested in gym class in in middle school. There was like a battery of tests that would prove our physical fitness, and one of them was a stretch test. And there was like a ruler, kind of. They would gauge how far you could reach and if you put a pencil down you could always reach further so i think about goals doing that it allows you to reach you you envision the spot and by that you can comport your body to getting there the downside of that is letting those expectations and ideas of what things should be rule in your life so much that your life becomes disappointing when it doesn't live up to this thing that was always hypothetical and imaginary to begin with
1: or expecting too much to happen within a certain timeline you know sometimes things take longer than we want them to or we hit a plateau, mm-hmm. or we even go backwards for a bit, and that's all part of development and growth.
0: Isn't it ironic, though, that sometimes the part of development and growth is to accept things as they are, to see things for what they are, and let that suchness roll, <sighs> let that be the thing that's happening instead of what it could be, and what can I do to – it's like, no, accept – It's really interesting that we have all of these circuitous routes to get right back to the current situation. So we bring this up because it's relevant to the questions, especially the first one, which uh, seems kind of like a crisis is going on. Yeah. Let's hear it.
2: Dear How to Do It, how do I train myself to become a lesbian? I have to be honest. I utterly despise the typical man. Emotionally stunted, violent, stupid, brutish, and crass. Yet, I find myself unable to rid myself of sexual desires towards these organic dildos. And I'm unable to sexually connect even when my emotional connections inevitably go toward women, who are more worthy of them. I need to fix this. Signed, Help a Lady Out.
0: Organic dildos is just a wonderful turn of phrase.
2: I'm not
1: sure if this is a helpful suggestion, but I think you could create some really interesting stuff if you channeled this into demeaning and humiliating domination scripts. Mm. Like, this is pretty brutal expressed into an advice column.
0: Yeah, I got like dwarfing vibes.
1: Yeah. Every sentence Mm -hmm. just demeans men as a class of human.
0: Utterly despised.
1: Yeah. So you could channel that and do something constructive with it that could also maybe result in profit. Um,
0: Notice you say channel and not train because (laughs) the, the, the question of how do I train myself to become a lesbian? I mean, basically what you're getting at is conversion therapy fundamentally which we know doesn't work. Yeah. And the very interesting thing again it's kind of like a meditative let it be kind of thing is that unquestionably sexuality does evolve through people's lives and it is vulnerable to external influence. The degree to which that occurs I think varies you know within people you could see something in porn that becomes your thing. You know, the suggestion can take hold. And if it's eroticized and coupled with strongly pleasurable stimulation can become your sexual reality. That's kind of like a reflexive process. That's kind of an unconscious process that you see happening. It seems to me that the difference is when you consciously try to alter your sexuality is when you run into problems. So I don't know if it's like an osmosis thing, hang out with a bunch of lesbians, start watching lesbian porn. I, I don't I don't know exactly what you could do to facilitate it other than kind of like keep your eyes and ears open.
1: There's like a very deep binary happening here. Yeah. Like I don't want to have sex with men. So women are my only option. Yeah. And there are non-binary folks. hmm. There are trans men who, through their queer experience, tend to have done more self-interrogation and, like, personal growth work than your average, like, cishet dude, Mm -hmm. who I totally understand can be so deeply frustrating so frequently that one might feel like they never want to interact with men again. Right. That's a feeling. Your feelings are valid, but there are other kinds of men than just the doodly dudes who are super self-absorbed.
0: Definitely. You also have the option, by the way, of compartmentalizing your life where you say, I have romantic, asexual relationships with women. I have sexual, aromantic relationships with men. That means that you're not going to get it all in one package. Good luck with that anyway, even in a ideal scenario. Yeah. And then you get to have your cake and eat it too, and everything's fine. But I also think that, like, you know, not to tone police, but I do think that this attitude that is being put forth would make facilitating these relationships a little bit more difficult. You might want to soften yourself in order to be more user-friendly.
3: Yeah.
1: I don't know what is going on, but I suspect that I empathize with it. Yeah. And I think when going through the world and living your life and doing your job involves alarming to traumatic interactions with one gender, mm-hmm. eventually a person may get to a place where they're unable to separate individuals out. And we don't want to stay there. Mm -hmm. Right. It's okay that we got there, Mm -hmm. but we don't want to stay there. And I think especially if anyone even remotely masculine is a potential partner, they really need to deal with that and do some work and grow some before they're interacting in any way that's not like a distanced like, here's my erotic story about how much I hate you. Um, <laughs> right, like I think I think that's a constructive way of like venting the feelings, mm-hmm. but before they're like actually interacting with men, even as a submissive client, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like you don't want to go into a DS situation actually strongly disliking the submissive, right? Um, erotic stories seems totally harmless to me. Yes, get it out, but then like take a look at it and work on it. And remember, women are also people. Yeah. And while I hate men, isn't really the most flattering reason <laughs> for someone to want to be with you. <laughs> um,
0: like, You'll do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you're not offensive in gender. Um, yeah. That's not that's not like the nicest. Come on. It's true. So you might want to wait to approach women or non-binary people until you have something about them that you find attractive. Yeah. Like actively positively.
0: Yeah. I I think the the bigger picture sort of thing that you're getting at is if you want to grow, you have to allow yourself to be able to grow. And that means opening up. And what, what we heard tonally, at least, was pretty closed off.
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Yeah. Good. So, our next question,
2: dear, how to do it? I'm a 46 year old man. My wife died about 18 months ago after a long illness. I'm a single parent of two great girls, trying to navigate this brave new world, all the stranger with COVID. During the pandemic, I've fallen into a relationship with an old friend who lives abroad. We've explored internet sex, but have been eagerly looking forward to a time that we could be together. The thing is, I'm a little terrified. My skills are definitely rusty. I'm in good shape, but my cock is not as predictable as it once was, and I've never been that experienced. I used to be pretty good at oral, but my wife was never that into it. How do I prep for an encounter? Or do I even bother? What's the best resource for brushing up my skills when I can't hook up with anyone in person for my girl's sake? until they get vaxxed. Signed, it's been a while.
1: So we reached out to Ian Kerner, licensed psychotherapist and author of She Comes First, and he definitely had some thoughts.
3: So in terms of approaching oral sex, I mean, I think the thing is to understand really the principles of of clitoracy, you know, and to um, get out of what I call sort of the intercourse discourse. You know, I don't know too much about this guy, but I just know that uh, so many men, um, you know, sort of think about sex often through the lens of intercourse or with partners who are thinking through the lens of intercourse, that one important thing is to just really um, make a stand for outer course, to be passionate about outer course and to go for it. And then once you can really be passionate about it and really think of outer course as a whole way of being and making love, then I think you wanna make sure you're clitorate, right? You wanna know that the clitoris is the powerhouse of the female orgasm. You wanna know that all those delicious, tasty, sensitive nerve fibers are both on the surface, right there on the surface of the vulva and about one and a half to two inches inside the entrance of uh, the vagina. So there's just this this cluster of um, erotic nerve sensitivity that really doesn't require much penetration or depth at all. So once you kind of get that, and that especially the glands of the clitoris, which is the part of the clitoris that extrudes above the vaginal entrance once you know that that area is so sensitive and there can sometimes be a distance of anywhere from one to three centimeters between the glands of the clitoris and the vaginal entrance and that most intercourse positions just miss that entirely you know then you start to know where to put your focus
1: so it's it's not so much about mimicking intercourse with your mouth and tongue as it is using your mouth and tongue to do things that intercourse can't
3: do yeah i think that that is uh exactly right so many people or so many guys just think of oral sex and uh rush to it as foreplay Um, but that can be an intense form of uh stimulation if you're not already aroused and uh ready for it so it's not just the right activity it's also the right time And, and the other thing that i would add is You know when it comes to oral sex if you think of it as a dance very often it is the receiver the female who's receiving who is leading that dance Mm -hmm. right uh it's how she is um leaning into your tongue your mouth the top of your gum it's how she's applying pressure and how you're meeting that pressure. It's how she's creating rhythm and you're following that rhythm. So I think so much of being uh, good at oral sex is being a, a good partner and being very open and present and sensitive to the dance and the just the cues that you're receiving from your partner.
1: I've noticed every vulva is very different. There's like a set of things that you might try, but every single new partner i'm like huh i have some guesses i have no idea what i'm doing and so i think for a writer's nervousness some like you know hey like you just get used to starting from scratch yeah it's
3: definitely a learning experience learning how to do that dance and not only is every vulva different in particular So is the body and the mind and the personality and the history attached to that vulva. So I think something that can often um, get in the way of just sort of getting into that mutual flow state that happens when you're really connected to someone, especially with oral sex, might be like self-esteem issues. I mean, I I just hear, hear from a lot of men who especially want to stimulate their partners orally, but very often... Uh, Their female partners are uh, worried that he doesn't really want to be there or worried that it's taking too long or worried that she doesn't taste right or smell right. So I think that also, I mean, what do you think, Stoya? I think that also really makes a vulva particular or (laughs) makes you need to focus on how to get to know this particular vulva.
1: Great. So I repeat myself a lot. Here, I'm going to repeat, sex does not require a penis. It doesn't even require genitals.
0: Yeah, I think the issue is to actually get over that expectation, you know, because you could see how the cycle of I'm not performing in the way that I'm supposed to perform, liberating yourself from that idea is really difficult in the moment, and anxiety just kind of builds from there.
1: Yeah, and you know, Kerner suggests that you might use Viagra or Cialis or similar to kind of help things along, sort of like training wheels for the first few encounters.
0: And mitigating anxiety. I love that. I love that you talked about that because it's true that these are effectively anti-anxiety meds. Sometimes.
1: You know, you've taken the pill, you know, the hydraulics are going to function so you're not stressed about it. So you can be in the present moment and then the hydraulics probably would have functioned on their own.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's just kind of like whatever it takes to get over that step.
1: You yeah. Know? So medication's one option, telling yourself over and over that sex is about so much more than having an erect penis in the room. And I actually have a very bizarre suggestion for oral. Okay. A long time ago, I was in a porn scene. It was an orgy with a lot of cis women. Hmm. I did a lot of cunnilingus. The next day, I noticed that my tongue hurt. On either side of the frenulum.
0: Like you'd pulled a muscle.
1: Yeah. It made for great promo.
0: (laughs) That's amazing.
1: How was the scene? It was so hot. I pulled a muscle in my tongue. Uh, (laughs) But also years later when I was trying to figure out how to roll an R. Mm. It's the same kind of exhaustion in the same area. Okay. Okay. So there are tongue exercises for figuring out how to roll an R and those tongue exercises could be useful for kind of like working out his tongue to be ready to have stamina when he's in person with this woman He might have to, like, shake the rust off with regards to, like, technique.
0: Yeah, bone up your tongue.
1: Yeah, but, like, he can, like, study the anatomy, give himself a refresher course, Mm. and, yeah, bone up his tongue and kind of, like, set himself up to succeed.
0: And could you find that, like, on YouTube?
1: Yeah, you can find tongue exercises on YouTube.
0: Wow. I also think that, you know, anxiety is about fears of things that have not yet happened. Look... Things go terribly beyond our expectations sometimes, but things can also be a lot better than we set them up to be. So sometimes getting over this anxiety is only about having a positive experience that goes the way that you like it. And then you've like kind of like shown yourself that you could do it. And all that worry just dissipates.
1: And like what you're saying about things do go wrong, I'm thinking back On some particularly wacky first sex adventures that I've had. And it never stopped me from continuing to see the person. Yes.
0: Right. You have to ask yourself, too, like, what's the worst thing that will happen? You're not going to die. No. And in all likelihood, this person, if they care for you, they'll want to work with you and build something with you.
1: And generally speaking, tops are very concerned about their turgidity, and bottoms are like, We could have fun with that. We could also have some other fun. It's not as much of a big deal as the people who are stressing about their own penis think it is.
0: And that vibe, that energy is the best thing that you could do as a bottom to facilitate Mm -hmm. the top's turgidity. Because when they have that expectation off the shelf, the anxiety dissipates, and then they're able to perform without that anxiety blocking them.
1: Yes. Another thing, because I'm thinking the two main issues when I encounter a limp penis are either that they're stressed about having one or stressed about performing up to a certain standard or the condom is too small. Mm. So he can also definitely make sure that the condom that he plans to use is not too tight because that can also make things difficult.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's all for now, but we're not done this week. On this week's second episode, exclusively for Slate Plus members, we hear from a letter writer who prefers his hand to his partner. Is that so bad?
1: Well, Rich, as the representative of <laughs> yes. all men... Yes.
0: We'll discuss it in tomorrow's episode. To hear it, sign up for Slate Plus for just $1 at slate.com slash
1: if you're in need of sex advice from Rich and me, you can write to It at slate.com slash it, or you can leave us a voicemail at 347-640-4025, and we may use it on the show. Remember, this is anonymous, and nothing is too small or embarrassing.
0: Our show is produced by Chow 2. How to Do It's editor is Jeffrey Bloomer. Our letter readers are Shasha Leonard and Benjamin Frisch. Thanks
2: for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.